electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm John Fort. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, we'll hear from two CEOs with tremendous innovation expertise, Crystal Beamont of Talend and Julie Sweet of Accenture. Crystal Beamont spent 15 years in leadership roles at SAP Concur, most recently as Chief Revenue Officer, before she was named Talend CEO in January 2020. And Julie Sweet joined Accenture in 2010 and became CEO in late 2019. She's also a member of the World Economic Forum's International Business Council, the Business Roundtable, and serves on the board of directors for Catalyst. These two CEOs are using the challenges presented by COVID-19 as opportunities to implement digital transformations and cultural changes at their companies that are going to last well beyond the pandemic and go into the future. They joined me on July 9th, 2020, as part of CNBC's At Work digital live stream series. Take a listen. Julie, at Accenture, you've got about half a million people. Uh, how do you manage during this time of, of there being so much distance, both between you and your workforce and between the workforce and the client? And, and if you got a couple of particular things that you've learned over the past, say, three, four months that you think will still be relevant five years from now? What are those top couple things? Right. Well, uh, so first of all, we're unique because pre-crisis, we were probably the most remote working organization in the world. We have over 500,000 people. And uh, and we'd already in the 90s moved to uh, where we had people, because they were mostly at client sites, also uh, working from home when they weren't at client sites with only about 50% of say our corporate functions going into the office. And for three decades, my leadership team has been remote. So my COO is in Belgium, my um, general counsel in Chicago, I've got leaders all over the world. So that part of um, this crisis was really seamless other than in our advanced technology and operations centers where people didn't really work from home. What, what was different though is that the inability to ever go and engage. And one of the things I'm telling CEOs, because they're they're sort of learning what we learned in the 90s, that you can reduce your real estate footprint if people aren't coming into the office all of the time. Uh, The problem is you can swing too far. And so what I would say, first of all, is human engagement is critical. Uh, And so as you look ahead, and by the way, I'm not sure five years, five years is a long time in today's world, but uh, but we'll go with it. Uh, I would say that... (laughs) You know, there's there's a there's going to be, continue to be a mixture of remote working for companies that really didn't do it before. Uh, but I will tell you that I think what what you're going to see is the swing back to the need for sustained human engagement, at least periodically. And so you're not going to see this kind of 100 uh, percent, you know, with functions working from home long term. And in, in, in my view. So let me, Julie, also ask you about your 
clients. How have the needs and concerns that they're expressing to you shifted, say, from March to July? And for a while there, there, there was a surge in talk about how to come back to the office and who was coming back. I get the sense in, in North America, particularly in the United States anyway, uh, a lot of that has stalled out. But I know that hasn't been the case everywhere. That's right. I mean, in our, for our European business, uh, clients are actually back and asking us to be back. You know, in some cases, more than even whether our people were really ready to come back, it's happening faster in Europe than we anticipated. Uh, that's the same is true uh, in our Asia businesses. And uh, I think what's what's still not happening is people don't want people flying in. Not only there are the restrictions, but uh, they do want to start reconnecting. Although it's interesting, I was just talking to uh, one of our clients who in the past, it's a European CEO, had never really liked work from home and so they hadn't done much of it so then when they went back and they wanted people to come back to the office they've actually had to convince people because uh they the employees really liked it it's more of an issue in some of the places where now people are saying no no no, you need to come back and uh particularly in europe where it hasn't been as common there's a little bit of wait wait this is really good and that's part of the reason why you're going to see this mixture i think for some time to come okay now now crystal you got deep enterprise experience uh, and executive experience, but just started this particular CEO role in January. What a year. So tell me about how you've worked uh, culture, communication. um, And and there are a lot of people who are, I mean, I'm sure uncomfortable in the organization. I mean, everybody's uncomfortable all over the world with what's going on. What what tools and skills have you both required of your um, management and have you picked up yourself that you can share? Well, it's been an interesting journey for sure. And it's certainly an interesting time to come into an organization and um, to come into the role of a CEO What I think is a great fortune now that I didn't realize at the time is I've spent the last 15 years of my life working remote myself. So I have a deep understanding of what it's like to traverse that landscape. And it does take a very intentional um, process and mindset to think about um, how to have good communication skills, how to um, navigate certain situations where maybe the majority of people are together in, in one place. And so I brought those um, experiences and those skills in and now leveraging them more than ever. And I think, you know, just like we were talking about commun- uh, the community around us, it's our customers, it's our partners, and it's our employees really thinking in a very intentional way about, you know, how to still move forward in, in a direction that, that drives to the right outcomes, um, make sure that we're staying um, connected through intentional conversation and making sure that we really check in on people because these are unprecedented times and there's variables that they're traversing that go well beyond, you know, the, the workplace. And so it really has been something that has to be, you know, firing on all cylinders and, and thinking about making sure that people aren't really being overworked, I think, is, is one of the concerns that I've had for our people and making sure that just because they can't leave the house doesn't mean that they stay in front of their computer all day and all night. And so, you know, it's a balance. And I think the future will hold a balance as well as just as Julie said. Mm. Yeah, Crystal, I, I keep hearing, particularly from, from people in the cloud space, CEOs uh, and, and top managers, uh, the head of public sector for AWS was saying government, for example, is moving faster than they ever have because the demand for digital connection from their constituents is higher than it's ever been. So I wonder, as you try to make sure 
that Talon serves customers who, who are coming in saying, hey, we need access to all this data to be able to figure out what's going on and then make quick decisions. As you change the, the sales motion, because people aren't flying uh, like they used to be, and even as you continue to scale up an organization, uh, putting people in place who, who you've never met, are there principles or, or uh, examples of, of situations that have taught you how to do that? Well, I think there's a, a lot of things going on, certainly right now, with how we're engaging with our customers. And um, we're being very thoughtful about what's top of mind for them. And, you know, this idea of digital transformation um, is, is um, an evolution. It's been talked about for a very long time. And you'll see a variety of people at different, um, you know, kind of places in that evolution. And, you know, we really have to be very mindful and thoughtful about where our customers are at in that journey, because I think it's a very important factor in how quickly they can adapt and adjust their business. And so when we think about putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers, it really is about where are they at on that journey? How quickly are they able to re-instrument um, and really re, you know, just transform their business, reinvent their business in some cases? Um, a great example of this in a very positive, um, you know, pioneer in digital transformation is Domino's. You know, so when you see someone who um, you wouldn't maybe uh, normally think about as a pioneer in digital transformation and technology, they've literally become a technology company. Um, they've transformed from the inside out in terms of how they show up um, with their mobile device and tracking and, and with their ability to find their customers um, in places where through gaming, and they were the first to use drones to deliver pizzas. And so when you see someone who's at that stage and really has already embraced it, and then something like COVID hits, and really that has thrown a huge um, amount of fuel on the fire of digital transformation, this is all about being able to adapt and adjust quickly. And so the first thing that we did was really look at whether it's Domino's who then had to look at how do I deliver pizzas in a contactless way? Well, they were able to adjust and adapt to that very, very quickly. But what we've seen is now the need for people to really show up in a different way and to really re-instrument and reinvent their business. And so we you know, look to align ourselves with where our customers are at and try to help them through that journey. And so it's, been, it's become a really important conversation. And um, how we show up is, is really important to make sure that we first understand where our customers are at on that journey. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Julie, you were talking about how Accenture has been working from home, a lot of people have in the organization, for a long time. But I wonder when you look at your clients, there was this initial wave of, oh my goodness, everybody's got to have a, a working laptop with a webcam, make sure that you have whatever the platform is, Zoom, Teams, et cetera, set up and people know how to use it. But what are the longer term investments, even technology wise, that companies have realized that they need to make now for, let's say, three to five years out that perhaps they didn't have as much prioritized? What are those things that the smartest companies are saying, okay, we got to start now because we need to be there in three to five years? 
So I'd say there's three really big focus areas. The first is on collaboration tools. Uh, and so, of course, in the you know the immediate uh, aftermath of the declaration of the pandemic, you had a lot of companies who hadn't um, hadn't really been using either using what they'd already bought or, in some cases, didn't use it, um, didn't have tools. Like, for example, with Microsoft, in one week we put the entire national health system up, 1.2 million workers on Teams because they literally had no tools. Uh, but it's it's not just about having the ability to use um, a great technology like Teams, but how do you make that technology simulate being able to be in the room? And so thinking about, uh, you know, whether it's Teams or, or G Suite um, uh, or, you know, the other sort of collaboration tools like a Zoom as a, is really a hub. And so at Accenture, we have over 500,000 people on Teams. And we use Teams as a hub of collaboration with where you can use, for example, Whiteboard and those um, and those applications. Because in order to um, connect, of course, you've got the audio and video is critical. But in order to do it longer term, you have to be able to, you know, use a whiteboard virtually to co-create and collaborate. And what you have seen that um, is you actually can be very innovative remotely but it makes looking at the tools in a very different way. So that's, I think, the most, the first. The second is security. And this is a critical area. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of issues around security, uh, everything from the sites that were put up to, um, with, to uh, security concerns about working from home. And so extending the threat landscape through remote working makes, needs, needs you have to think differently, which is in some ways it's about technology. Like we have a managed service that does, uh, that, you know, is able to track what's happening at the endpoint, but it's also culturally, right? And training for the different ways you have to think about security if you're home. The the third area is a move to the cloud, and there's a lot being uh, talked about now. And the reason the move to the cloud is so important when you think about remote working isn't because you don't have the tools today, but you it's really the data that you need. So when you're working from home, whether it's security, whether it's the ability to do the colla uh, collaboration, being able to quickly access data and to be able to manipulate it differently and have less manual processes really requires the digitization of the backbone of a company. And for that, you really need to be in the cloud. Yeah, well, Crystal, she's singing your song. So I, I want to go <laughs> to you on that. Uh, Talent is very much focused on getting data from disparate sources into uh, whether you want to call it a data lake or into the same uh, platform where it can, where it can be analyzed. Um, what are the gaps that are showing up in your customers or potential uh, customers processes? And, and what are the ways that you're perhaps finding to uh, help them fill those gaps that, that weren't emerging before? Yeah, well, and I think this is why we have such a great collaboration between Accenture and Talent. You know, it's a 10 year long relationship and when Accenture steps in to provide um, what I would say is one of the most essential things, which is a strategy. It starts with a data assessment and really understanding the underpinnings of, of you know, what you have and what you don't have and you know, what you need to move forward. Because you know, digital transformation and moving to the cloud is a whole mindset. It is about changing every part of how your organization functions, systems, processes. It's certainly technology, but it goes beyond that. And so when I think about you know, what's really kind of some of the gaps is, 
you know, I think there are pockets of, of information and data that exist in, in, you know, across an organization. And sometimes organizations don't know exactly where all that data is. They may not know um, exactly what they have to work with. And more importantly, making sure that it has not just <laughs> well, I think a lot, every, maybe every organization has a question about, you know, where is my data and, and what do I have? Um, you, you're probably right. It's, it's maybe every single organization, John. You know, but I think it's more than just having completeness of data. You really, what we've seen the gaps on is quality, governance of data. Of It's not just about having a lot of data. Look, having a lot of data is, is in a way an opportunity, but in a way it's also, um, you know, a problem in that if you can't effectively leverage it or if you can't trust it. And I think there's a there's a big, you know, important um, part around trusting the data, because at the end of the day, we just need to put the data in the hands of the right people at the right time so they can they can run the business. And there's never been a time more like right now and what we're facing where people have to make quick decisions. So speed is imperative but also confidence in the decisions you're making based on the data that you can trust. And, you know, there are gaps in those. And that's something that we spend a lot of time with organizations, making sure that we, we shore up those gaps and that we help make sure that they can measure the health of their data and they can trust the information they're using to make decisions. Uh, all right. And now I want to talk about uh, leadership. Uh, and kind of your direct reports and maybe their direct reports as well and how that affects an organization. Once again, I'll remind people, if you have a comment or a question, you can submit that on Twitter. CNBC Events uh, is the handle there on Facebook, facebook.com slash CNBC is where you'll see the live stream. But I wonder, Julie, we talk about soft skills. We talk about team building and I have to imagine that in this situation, the kinds of skills that a manager needs, that a leader needs, the, the kinds of either frequency of communication or specificity of communication that's required is entirely different when you can't walk into somebody's office and say, hey, hey here's what I need. Are, are there specific skills that you and clients need to look for differently uh, in leadership, need to assess differently for both this kind of situation and how it applies to, to what the needs will be in the future. Sure, John, I think there's three things that I think are very important to look at. The first is starting with your employees. So we talk a lot at Accenture about being human centric in all the work we do with our clients. And we also think about this from a leadership perspective. And so, you know, understanding first, what, what is the employee experiencing? So for example, with communication, we were very different at the beginning than about one month in. And what is what I mean by that? At the very beginning, while I was communicating as the CEO, we had most of our communication coming very locally because we know for our employees, they get the most reassurance from hearing from leaders that they believe know them. And in the first weeks, they were very concerned. That was important. We then very deliberately shifted our communication to have less local communication and more at sort of the country or global level where they were starting to sort of think about the big picture, worry about the impact on the company, for example, from their jobs perspective. And so by really understanding your people and as leaders saying, I'm going to start with what are my employees experiencing and then tailor your communication style to that. That's the first 
The second is, is transparency. And I think that's an, an enduring feature of great leadership. But in times of crisis, where it's not something that's just gonna last a couple of weeks, but it's ongoing, the use of, of, of being really clear about where you are, saying things like I've said to my team and all of my leaders and people, I know you're working really hard. I know this is extremely stressful because you're doing it from home. And I have to keep asking you to do that because I don't have an end in sight and we really need to do it, right? For our clients and our sake. And just acknowledging that and being very transparent is I don't have the easy answer that, you know, this is going to be a month or two months or three months down the line gives people confidence that you're telling them, you know, the, the good and the bad and they're less worried about that. And then the third piece that I think is very unique to this crisis is just how much we've had to really make sure that we're thinking as about people as people. And, you know, because it's one thing when you're in the office, you don't have to worry about, you know, is there a kid in the next room, right? And so <laughs> in the same way, I don't know, you know, I, I know whether someone's changed rooms, you know, I'm like, oh, you're in a different room today, right? <laughs> the need to consider an individual's particular circumstance is just very, very different when people are working from home under these circumstances. I think it's gonna be a good long-term, hopefully five-year impact, because we should always be more empathetic uh, about people and, and except that we talk about personal and professional success and that's really important. But I think we've learned, we're having to learn very different skills uh, because of what our people are going through and their, you know, their personal circumstances at home. Yeah, Crystal, what do you think are the maybe undertrained leadership muscles uh, that are that are needing a workout now that, that you're seeing uh, in, in your team and that perhaps you're going to be looking more closely at when you're hiring. Who's got those skills? How do we train them up? Well, first of all, I'd agree with everything that Julie said. It is, um, you know, those are imperative skills. And I think it's it really, it, it's more about what you believe as leaders and what you believe that you want to have as a culture. These are just opportunities for those actions to show up in a way that they mean more now than ever. Um, there's a couple of words that come to mind that are, are deeply important to me, and it's vulnerability. Um, I think the it's an interesting thing when you open up teams to um, people and you, you're in their house. You've literally opened up people to um, something that maybe they haven't shared in the past, which is their personal life. And, you know, and it's a personal life, unlike uh, normal times where this is not working from home. This is dealing with a, a global pandemic and trying to get work done in um, unrealistic you know, expectations of the whole entire family's home. And not everyone has a way to, you know, to kind of put themselves in a place where um, they're not exposing their personal life. So I think there's this just this recognition uh, recognition of um, that we're, you know, we're asking people to be more vulnerable. And I think that's okay. I think that it's, um, but it is a recognition that there is an emotional and a mental component to this that takes a toll. This is people are dealing with more than just um, work and um, maybe longer hours, but they're also dealing with you know, circumstances they've never had to encounter before. So uh, I really believe in being connected to um, what people are feeling and, and how they may be traversing um, times that are, are unprecedented. I also believe in authenticity. And this is just like Julie said, this is just core to what I believe is important to um, build in a culture and also into leaders that we 
that we have that lead a, a business. And so authenticity is being able to um, be okay with not being okay. And so I mean that people can um, acknowledge the fact that these are difficult times and we want people to show up. You know, certainly we have a job to do and there's the balance of lives and livelihood that we have to really be thoughtful about. But we want people to show up as who they are. And um, that's really important to me because we do have a very diverse workforce that's, you know, spread across 13 different countries. And um, actually, we're a French, you know, domiciled company that has a very strong culture. And we want people, um, the things that they're going through and the things that they're encountering, we want them to be authentic. And we also want to mirror um, authenticity. So those things are really important. And um, but those are things inside of us, regardless of COVID or not. Uh, Crystal, I, I, I'm curious from a growth stage company like Talent um, and best practices, worst practices, if you don't mind sharing them. Uh, I was just talking to Stuart Butterfield of Slack yesterday, and he was saying that uh, I think 12 percent of the company, he said, is new since the pandemic hit. So one in eight employees. And when you're growth stage, I imagine that's an issue. You're having to bring on a bunch of people who you've never met. You might be acquiring companies, uh, the, the leaders of whom you've never really met in person. What, how do you do that? How do you, how do you grow with people who don't get to kind of touch and feel the culture in the presence of other people? Well, first, you know, I would even take one step back from that and say, um, good on him. And also, I think there's many of us that feel the same way that you first have a mindset that you're going to continue to grow. You're going to find every way through this to come out on the other side and be better for it. And so for those of us who have an opportunity to do that, um, and, and some don't, um, it's it's in a position that you you take and you hold on to and you look for an opportunity to find ways to strengthen the organization. You know, when you think about uh, people coming in who've never met their colleagues and um, they actually, you know, simple things like onboarding, it really is you have to think through things. How am I going to get a computer to someone? Um, how am I going to get them set up? How are we going to go through new hire training onboarding and how are they going to feel part of a team? Because culture and the people are everything. And so it really does take very intentional thoughts around how are we going to communicate I'm going to say over communicate uh, because that is the thing that will ultimately help see us through. But, you know, communicating in ways that um, you would otherwise do, hopefully, and, you know, face to face. But these are these are just things that I think, you know, really put us to the test. And I think these are opportunities for us to show up in a really big way to say, you know, this isn't a bad thing that we're being put to the test. It's unfortunate circumstances, but I think it, it pushes people to be. Um, you know, more innovative. I think it pushes people to think outside the box. And it really looks at opportunities to, you know, really optimize a business. How much more can you get done when you're working in this way? And there's a balance, certainly, but all of it has to be thought about in a way that um, drives to the right outcome and, you know, puts your arms around people, whether that's your customers or your partners or your employees. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. 
stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Julie, part of culture is setting. And I know Accenture has people, clients all around the world, uh, lots of different office settings. I wonder what you're seeing and expecting um, that, that'll have an impact on where we are uh, five years out. Uh, are companies shutting down offices? Are they redesigning offices? Is, is there anyone who's particularly forward thinking about how and whether to do those things. You know, Pat Gelsinger was on with us a couple of weeks ago, VMware, and said that the, the office is no longer going to be sort of a workspace hoteling where people come in and have their little room where they do work. It's going to be more of a gathering place. But I wonder, design-wise, is that conversation ready to be had? You know, it's interesting. I think it's early. Uh, I think that uh, you've got a few different camps. So you have companies that uh, have not really done a lot of remote working, which is by far still the majority of companies around the globe, including even in the U.S. And so their thinking is much more around, wait a minute, this actually works. Uh, you know, it is possible to have more people uh, working from home. And frankly, I think a lot of that um, thinking is a little too slanted toward the cost opportunity to actually, um, you know, have 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 smaller uh, footprints, which is why I spent a lot of time talking about how in the U.S. in particular, we went too far with that. And we spent the last five years actually building back the office space. I mean, can, second, can you say uh, more about that? Can you say more about that? Sure. How did you know when you had gone too far? And when you did scale back out, what did you, how did you do it? With, with what in mind? Sure, sure. It's a, it's a great question. The way we knew is that we, we, we started noticing that our leaders, our, our people, our young people uh, were saying that they, they didn't relate as much to the leaders. They didn't feel the engagement. So uh, we, we, we don't use sort of standard engagement uh, tools. We, we do much more micro team tools. And, and we also started doing a lot of regular focus groups. And what we were seeing was that there was this disconnect between our youngest people and our more senior leaders. And when we dug underneath that, what we recognized was the offices had really stopped being gathering spots. We've always had people at clients, but um, uh, you know, during lots of parts of the week, but then we used to have much more activities, you know, in the office, uh, trainings in person, leaders doing, uh, you know, brown bag lunches and so on. But we had in many, many of our cities uh, it limited our office space so much that to do that, you were having to run a hotel room, right? Which just isn't the kind of, it isn't conducive. Um, at the same time, we were really pivoting our company towards being very innovation led and we needed collaboration spaces. And those spaces involved uh, being able to work differently together, everything from, you know, building working prototypes to, you know, being able to do a whiteboard, which we now are doing, you know, over our team's collaboration tools. But in the, um, but, you know, we were building hubs to do that. 
and and that is a different way. That's not saying bring back the old offices where you're working in a cubicle. It's being about spaces that are designed that people come together. What's really interesting now that we're seeing with our clients, less so for us because we don't have people that uh, are intended to come in five days a week unless they're working in studios, is uh, we're seeing some really advanced work around designing offices for the way people want to move through them. So for example, there are parts of the day that uh, you want to be quiet and focused. There are other parts of the day where you're likely to need to work with a team or want to engage. And so creating spaces that allow employees to move through the space depending on you know, what they need. That's very different than say even two years ago when people were building, like including us, these innovation hubs that had lots and lots of just collaboration space. It's recognizing that you need different kinds of space throughout the day, which is really important also for persons with disabilities. We're opening a big office in New York um, at Hudson Yards uh, in the fall, and we've created space there for people with um, various auditory deficit disorders who also need space to be able to work differently and be um, more productive. That's that's really interesting. And I, and I want to also talk about kind of collaborations and partnerships, Crystal, which are um, so important for a company in the cloud space, whether you're talking about AWS, Azure, other places where your, your uh, customers are going to have their data stored. What are you seeing from your partners? Uh, you don't have to name names, but feel free. Uh, who, who's doing something particularly well or maybe messing something up when it comes to figuring out how to engage, figure out the customer's need, make those kinds of changes that, that used to maybe happen in person that can maybe inform people about um, areas that they might overlook, particularly when it comes to data and data integration, where they, where they should be looking. Well, I'm going to say this not just because Julie's on this call, but I will <laughs> on, this, on this video. But um, look, there are a lot of pieces in this ecosystem of things about the third, um, the third part of the answer that she gave in terms of how companies, you know, kind of move forward and progress, which is moving things to the cloud. And, and each of the ecosystem has something to offer in terms of where the data is stored, how you visualize the data, you know, what you can do with it to drive optimal outcomes. And so... You know, looking at it through each of those lenses, I think there's a lot of really great work going on that's going to take us um, into the future and um, really benefit all of us um, and the better for collaboration and sharing and proper utilization of data. Um, I think when you work with a strategic partner that helps pull all of that together and, you know, really um, helps think about a strategy, I, I really see, and that's why I, I call kind of on Accenture is, you know, you really have someone that's helping people collectively look at you know, the way that they really transform a business. And I think that's, um, you know, something that people are really taking a, a, a look at from the inside out. And so there's elements of it. And I think each one of the um, ecosystem partners that we have are really thinking about it creatively, um, thinking about it in ways that push the boundaries. We look at ourselves as um, someone who's agnostic to the different variables in the industry. We want our customers to pick the right business partners for them. And we want to support our customers on whatever platform they want to run on. You know, we want to stay agnostic to that and we want to allow them to make the right business decision for them. And quite frankly, make the decision that might be a multi-threaded um, decision that they, for different reasons around the world or just because of their philosophy as a business, 
Um, we want to make sure that we support them. So our partners are incredibly um, critical to enabling the outcomes for our customers. Um, they're highly valuable to our organization, and um, we, we like to uh, work across those partners in a way that supports our customers. Crystal, I want to ask you about culture. Um, you came to Talend, as we said, in January, brought a couple of executives with you. Um, and there's a lot of talk now about diversity, about whether you're talking about gender, whether you're talking about ethnicity, you're talking about experiential diversity. Um, during a time like this, are there opportunities to move that forward in a more meaningful or maybe even more rapid way? Are there uh, kind of danger spots in, in how you do that? What are you finding? Well, I did. I, you know, came over um, from Concur and I brought a couple folks with me. Um, you know, what I maybe hadn't properly um, anticipated was the reaction to being not only a, a female CEO, but to bring a CRO over in Crystal Graham from Concur and then Jamie Kaiser is the chief customer officer. And to really have three of us um, along that's, you know, actually we have a very strong female representation on our executive team as well as our board. And, you know, when I when that happened, I was looking for people with amazing attributes that, that fit the bill on um, not only being able to perform the job, but in how they perform the job and building the right culture and making sure that we drive the right outcomes for um, our company, our customers and our shareholders. And so that's what drove the decision of bringing those individuals over. But it did become very much um, a conversation and, and a topic much more than I had um, at the time realized. And I think this is the point that I would get to in that absolutely um, the, the situations that have unfolded over the last few months of things that we're seeing in the, um, in, in the social unrest really that's, that's happening, we have a responsibility to um, be more aware and, and to be very intentional and to educate ourselves on whether it's, again, whether diversity of any type. And um, it's extremely important that we think about not just um, understanding um, all the different aspects of it, but living, you know, a, um, a, the life of and putting actions into place that allow us to continue to improve, um, quite frankly, opportunities that we give to people and making sure that we're, um, that we have the right level of education and sensitivity to things that maybe um, we're not all as well versed on. So, you know, these diversity and inclusion is, is incredibly important. Um, it comes back to that authenticity and the ability for people to show up as who they are. That's, I want every individual within this company. I don't want a collection of clones. I want people who come as themselves and that come with all the unique background that they have to offer based on their life's experiences. And Julie, similarly to you, um, different scale of issue with the size of your workforce, but uh, similar challenges as you assess what the levels of, um, I guess, thoughtfulness around uh, diversity are, what the levels of diversity of thought are in different uh, areas where you're trying to serve clients. What have you done both in the past and in this time? And what have been some of the, the best takeaways? Sure. Well, one thing that I think is really important to look at that we're looking at now as as it becomes clear that we're going to be in at least parts of the world working remotely for a great deal of time and also not a lot having outside interaction is the importance of diverse networks. I mean, we do a lot of hiring and uh, one of the things that 
you know, we always try to do is increase the diversity of our hiring. And many of our people in the past have said, well, you know, I just don't have a diverse network. And, and so when they were doing referrals, there would always be people who look like them. And, uh, and so we worked really hard on having particularly our leaders join organizations and specifically develop and cultivate more diverse networks. And one of the things we're really concerned about now is that in a world where you're not going to, you know, different functions, you're not participating in the same way, uh, you know, at the different groups, is your ability to continue to cultivate networks and not simply rely on the people that you know and that in the times, you know, these kinds of times that you connect, I think is really important. So we're very much focused on how do we make sure our leaders and our people continue to develop and diversify their networks as we think about recruiting. And then within Accenture, to make sure that as we bring in people from the outside, uh, particularly uh, diverse people who do not, you know, some of our employees where we recruit, they don't have the same, you know, numbers of people from their schools, et cetera, as we've continued to diversify where we go to campus, for example. And, and finding new ways of creating those networks at a time where we can't use traditional getting together. And so, you know, I, I think this is really, really important. And one last uh, tip for um, people is that one of the things that we did a couple of years ago that has also helped us uh, with diversity, and it's something we think is even more important now, is uh, we pay fees to our employees if they successfully refer someone who gets hired, and we pay higher fees if those are diverse uh, individuals. And, and that is, you know, basically trying to incentivize more of our employees to use their networks and to have those networks be diverse. Uh, that is something that we think right now where we are worried about how you maintain and, and continue to, um, you know, have more diverse networks is a really good incentive to help us maintain our commitment to becoming, you know, really the most inclusive and diverse company in the world. That was Julie Sweet, CEO of Accenture, and Crystal Beaumont, CEO of Talend, speaking with me at CNBC's At Work livestream on July 9th, 2020. You can watch the video of this interview and find much more content about the future of work on our website, cnbc.com forward slash work. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information on our upcoming events and how you can join us, check out cnbcevents.com. I'm John Fort. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.